Hello and welcome back to the Man and Burton podcast, everyone. We're here with episode 21. Uh, it's myself, Alex, and as always, I'm joined by Lily. Hello. And we've got a couple of guests, as usual, uh, returning. We've got Dipterup. Hello. And we've also got Nick. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking about comics again today, which is one of our most frequent topics for podcasts, but this time we're focusing on some slightly different ones. What's the idea, Lily? Yes, today we will be talking about comic books that have nothing to do with superheroes or mm-hmm. as little to do with superheroes as possible. I think we've talked about superheroes a lot and obviously it's a, a topic we're all very interested in and it's very popular, but the world of comic books or as we were discussing prior to start recording, sequential art, just so we don't discriminate any type of narrative art form in a book-like setting. Um, it's it's such a diverse world and um, at least, I don't know the guys here, but my academic career in comic books actually started from a non-superhero um, point of view. So obviously, um, I think for me, there's such an important part of how I've got into this academic world and, and just my research in general, that obviously they require a lot of attention. Um, and I think it's also something to do with the fact that uh, being Spanish, non-superhero comic books were at one point even more popular or more common to see um, mm. out there, like in my house or somewhere else. Maybe maybe not in my house. My house is probably not a good example because my dad had used comics from everywhere. But, you know, the, the what we call the TVO industry in Spain, which is, is the actual um, word, T-E-B-E-O, um, it's very similar to the sort of French BD, um, but we also have a lot of other cartoony styles, more comic strip-like styles that were actually very popular in Spain for a really long time, particularly during the uh, period following the uh, Frankist uh, regime or even during the Frankist regime due to censorship, also due to um, things like, well, propaganda and whatnot. So I think it's um, such an important part of my heritage that obviously I, I just wanted to talk about all of these different art forms today, and that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I would like to pass the floor on to uh, whoever wants to go first, Nick or Dipterup. What's your exp- experience with uh, comic books that don't have anything to do with superheroes, and where um, where did you encounter them, or how have you been working with them, and why why do you think they're important? Well, I, I think actually it, it, it's really um, interesting that you mention, um, I guess, the, the lack of superheroes. Because I guess really what we say when we really mean superheroes is often we really mean Marvel or DC because they, well, they trademarked yep. the word. <laughs> um, and growing up in Australia, it was really, um, really weird because Australia drew for a long time from England and Europe in terms of comic books and then also from America. So we got this weird kind of eclectic mix of um basically everything all at mm. once um in our sort of in our sort of pop culture stores and news agents and uh whatnot so i guess uh, being a kid growing up a lot of the comics that i was really drawn to initially weren't superhero comics and yes i did read a lot of superhero comics simply because for a long time that was market saturation yeah. um and that you couldn't really you know avoid them so eventually it became a thing of well what do i look at um but where i was westerns 
were very popular. Mm -hmm. And so anything that had that kind of Wild West element to it um, soon became a place in my home. Yes. And, you know, it was one of the few things I could read that actually uh, got my dad's approval. It's like, <laughs> there's less words on that one, but I see a cowboy. He looks kind of like John Wayne. He's got a gun. He's writing. <laughs> I approve. Um you know, because my dad could actually see his own form of masculinity reflected therein. So a lot of what I spent my childhood reading um, was things like uh, Jonah Hex, oh. for one, which is in the DC superhero no. universe, but is very much coming out of yeah. the spaghetti Western tradition and very heavily rooted in that. And at that particular stage, it was being written by um, Timothy Truman and uh, Joe, um, sorry, illustrated by Timothy Truman and written by Joe R. Lansdale, both of whom are really famous for just absolutely batshit crazy, crazy Westerns. And so, like, one of my, um, you know, favourite comics as a kid growing up was um, Jonah Hex's uh, Two Gun Mojo, nice. where he's being hunted by the zombie of Wild Bill Hickok. Um, and it had this kind of, and it was just like, there was just nothing like it on the planet that I'd read before where you had a cowboy and you had this kind of weird supernatural element and you had a zombie and you had the mythos of the American West all kind of pushed in there. I think that's really kind of the fun thing about non-superhero comics is mm. that, you know, for a while there, there is this, this, there is this kind of huge market saturation, particularly at the moment with the whole media machine, and that every other idea kind of gets pushed into this other space that it's then forced to share with all these other ideas. And you get this wonderful eclectic twisting and mixing around and coming out the other side. And I find that's what I'm really, um, as an adult, that's what I'm really drawn to when I look for non-superhero comics. I look for that really weird eclectic mix and, uh, push around i mean i think one of my other favorites is uh xenozoic tales slash cuddleacts and dinosaurs um yes. and that's a really it's just such a bizarre wonderfully bizarre post-apocalypse where you have an apocalypse everyone lives underground they come out and it's back to the prehistoric prehistoric era with dinosaurs everywhere and you've got cars that run on t-rex shit and you know you've got car fetishism <laughs> with like Edgar Rice Burroughs style, uh, you know, action and adventure with post-apocalyptic um, cobbling together of tech and Mad Max style antics. It's just so bizarre and wonderful. Um, yeah. Yeah, I completely, I can relate a lot to that. And I'm wondering where is Div Tarub's uh, perspective on this? Because <laughs> um, obviously, you know, a lot of the things you've said, Nick, are pretty much what have drawn me now as an adult to a different type of style of comic books. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if, if the tarot is on the same page here. Yeah, actually, um, it, it's a funny thing when I think about the kind of comics that I have uh, read, um, you know, as a kid. And even later on, uh, when I started doing my research on comics, uh, the kind of comics that I started working on. Uh, so just like Lily, you said earlier, uh, my interests in the academic um, you know, study of comics, it began with uh, Amruta Patil's Kari, um, which is basically, it's not a superhero story, obviously. Uh, it's, it's a story of a coming out, uh, a mm. girl who is questioning and uh, she doesn't know her place, um, who has a lover. Uh, her name is Ruth and uh, Ruth accepts her sexuality pretty easily and uh, it, the entire graphic novel is shown in a pretty uh, you know, symbolic way. Um, but Kari never gets to understand that. And the entire story is about her coming out and her understanding and getting to terms with her own 
identity and her own sexuality so um when i started uh, talking about comics on an academic level this was it but before that i mean um all the comics that i have read um there are not a lot of superhero comics in there when i wonder mm-hmm. about it in the sense that uh, let's say the very first comics that i had read apart from tintin and even if i take tintin let's say okay. like uh, can we even call tintin superhero i i don't think tintin is a superhero no 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 i didn't think so <laughs> yeah. it's a comic book at the time and um well um, tintin apart from tintin i had other some other comics indian comics like dabuji or even amar chitra katha uh, amar chitra katha means immortal picture stories and uh, these are very famous indian comics on um, you know mythological figures mm, and yes. um, on uh, personalities and not shown in the way of superhero narratives now uh, here comes the thing that nowadays uh, the kind of comics that we have from graphic india which is an imprint of marvel comics now mm. um, they uh, reproduce these old mythic stories like mahabharat and uh, ramayan and turn it into something which is superheroish uh, it looks yeah. like a superhero narrative it sounds like a superhero narrative but amar chitrakatha didn't do that there was a sense of a nationalist bent uh, to the stories mm-hmm. but um, those were the stories i uh, grew up uh, reading um, or the tinkle you know there are some children comics um, so when i think about early comics that i read apart from phantom or apart from uh, you know the you know mainstream marvel and dc batman and superman comics which also came to me not through marvel but through an indian imprint called gotham comics so uh, what a gotham comics did is that they imprinted marvel and i think i've talked about it earlier also but still mm, yeah. i mean it's it's interesting how like uh, um, over here it's, it's very costly i mean at the time marvel comics used to be so costly for us we used to get the cheapest thing that was available so um when i think of comics uh i think that non superhero comics are the uh, are majorly the comics that i have read and even today uh, when um, uh, when you look at the kind of indian comics that are available almost all of them seem to be non superhero and there are a few um, comic book houses like holy cow entertainment or um, uh, let's say yali dreams creations which deal in superheroes but other than that most indian comics i mean uh, i i could just talk about all the indian comics that i read and almost all of them are non superhero it's very interesting thinking how those imprints probably have some form of impact in the way we have discovered comics um because for example in spain a lot of the superhero comics from like marvel or dc or even some other publishers were usually um translated and came to us through someone else one of the biggest ones is norma comics and i can think of another one which is planeta agostini and that usually came for some strange reason as a supplement with like newspapers and magazines things like that but anyway that's that's just a way um that a lot of spanish publications work like um and it it's interesting because you know then trying to trace who was the original publisher of that comic um becomes a bit of a nightmare um but one of the other things that norma has been importing into spain for quite some time as well as other publishers not just norma is a french pd bande dessinée and i don't know if it's whether because 
um, the translations are easier or just because of geographical location, because obviously France and Belgium are well right next to Spain. We've always had those type of comics available in Spain. Um, so it's it's interesting as well in, in that sense, you know. They're right next to the UK as well, but I never really saw them around. No, and I think it's because, you know, in the UK, there is, like I said, the Anglophone world is, is quite strong in their comic book tradition or mm -hmm. their sequential art tradition. And obviously, this may not be the same somewhere else. So on that front, Nick, what, what was this about Australian um, imprints that you were about to mention? Uh yeah, um, so like Australia used to have um, imprints of, say, American, um, Marvel and DC while we had trade tariffs, of course, when um, being um, an English-speaking nation, um, once the trade tariffs were dropped um, without any need for translation, there was really no need for imprints. So often when you go into a comic book store and you say, hey, can I see the Australian comics? We don't actually have a strong... We had a sense of um, European right um, and japanese comic <laughs> yeah, books um in our comic book stores so you know often like you know if i go into you know a comic store here i'm i'm hunting down for you know i'm i'm you know questioning them endlessly when's the next volume of black sad coming out um and they look at me funny for a while and they go you know what's that i have to explain you know for the 50 billion time about it's the you know detective cat and they try to sell me the old dvds of tailspin um but you know, nonetheless, we still we still get those comic books. Like things like um, Tintin and Asterix were kind of like yeah. staples in Australian um, primary schools um, during my years there. So um, it, it's kind of interesting that we get these other traditions, um, these European and Japanese traditions, by way of translation. But we've also lost our own tradition by the the lack of need for translation. I guess. Yeah, that's that's really peculiar. I mean. Now that you've mentioned, obviously, Japanese translations, for some reason, which I'm, I'm sure I will potentially do a study about this at some point in my life, but uh, manga and, and Japanese comic books are such a hit in Spain. Like, they are so popular. They seem to and, be everywhere. So. Yeah, but in yeah. Spain particularly, like, um, whilst, whilst not everyone in Spain that I knew when I was a teenager may have read superhero comic books from, like, Marvel and DC they all would have known or read a manga. And I, again, mm. I don't know if maybe because of anime, anime was really popular, it's still really popular in Spain. So obviously there is a cross media correlation in there, but um, you know, there, there would be what, what I used to um, call the local comic book store. We had three in my hometown and the one that was closest to me, um, literally when i started going there was divided in three sections warhammer and warhammer knockoffs um comic books <laughs> <laughs> comic books and manga and manga took half of the store so it wasn't even three yep. even parts it was half of the store these days mm. the warhammer section has probably increased the manga section has increased as well. And the comic books are much more reduced, but that's also because another one of the com local comic book stores has really taken the lead in there. They're very good at supporting local artists as well. And not yeah. just that, but like, you know, bringing the, the owner and, you know, if, if he's listening to this, kudos to him, Oscar from Nexus 4 in Santander is such a wonderful man in every single way shape or form he's always supported the local community he's very involved with the artistry and the authors not just from our town santander but 
all over in Spain, you know, he's always bringing interesting people so that people learn and people know about comics, whether they are any shape of comics. And he's done such a good job that, you know, it's he obviously has the upper hand in there because he knows his, his market. He knows his artists and authors and he knows the audience. So that may be part of the reason why the other stores sort of stood away from his territory. You can't compete with someone like that, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, thanks absolutely. to that, we have such a rich culture, um, not just in my town, but I think in Spain, there's such a big connection of artists working in these corporations. And then as it happens, some of these little local artists that started doing their own projects now are working for big names and they are doing, you know, things, things that probably we wouldn't have expected before because you just sort of knew them as that guy from town or, you know, something like that. But um, yeah, it's, it is interesting how this whole manga phenomenon has also taken over uh, Spanish, not just comic book stores, but bookstores. You know, you can, you can go to an ordinary bookstore and buy mangas, at least, you know, mainstream lines, will some comic books you may struggle. So it's very interesting yeah. how that translation market particularly for those Japanese products, have really taken over mm. um, in so many I ways. I was also curious, I mean, uh, I, I, are these mangas in English or do, do no, you they're have in Spanish. Spanish? Wow. Yeah, they're in Spanish and that's the thing that really surprised me. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, we have the exact same thing happening here, except, you know, of course, they're translated into English mm. here. So, And I suspect it might, when you say the mainstream, I suspect it might even be the same narratives the same stories the oh, same product just translated yeah. into a different language like I, I dare say dragon ball and dragon ball z is yeah, globally popular so. at the moment 100 percent, but yeah it's yeah. it's just been weird because i i swear and this is no joke <clears throat> i have some um mangas or i've known some mangas that i was able to get easier in spanish than i did in english i don't mm. know if maybe it was because obviously well for those of you who don't know, a lot of the um, Japanese production of mangas is first shipped to America because they target an American audience. So yeah. obviously their primary market is that way. And then the comic book may reach you, whatever you may be elsewhere in the world, a year later or a few months later um, because the translation is not worked out or because of whatever. And sometimes that causes two phenomenon. Phenomenon number B, number one, that... Um, the American market just takes out all of the copies of this manga you want to read, and therefore you cannot even get it in English. So then it's easier for you to get the translation of your own language. Or because it wouldn't have been successful in the American market, you wouldn't get a translation in English anyway. It would be a waste of money. So it's targeted then for other audiences and translated into other languages where they know it's mm. going to be successful. So it's a weird thing like that. It's the, the whole way how the, the whole manga industry works always fascinates me because it's, it's bonkers. And obviously, the, the only... I was going to say, and there's um, saying that, you know, the way the manga market works is um, completely, I guess, like, like distinct from other comic book industries. Yes. The way in which manga produ is produced is really, it's really interesting when we talk about the universal pop. Mm. Yeah, because um, for a lot of, lot of mangas, the, the artist, the author, and the editor, and the first, I guess, primary editor are usually the same person. Or at least um, they've got the same person in, in like an oversight role of all that where, um, which, which um, you know, the artist in me wants to say that it gives it a more of a purity of, of storytelling. Than that, mm. But I know that's, you know, I know that's marketing there. I don't know this yeah. math. But I know there's like a massive, 
multi-billion dollars in narrative and artists and shuff two pages were done by other people. Um, whereas you never actually get that with manga. Yeah. You get a story across the multiple volume, a single story across the multiple volumes of the comic book um, told with a beginning, a middle and end and characters that develop around the middle and um, that usually, you know, it, it's got a distinct a distinctive narrative feel that feels more like what we'd compare a series of novels to than we would a monthly comic book. Yeah, and I think that is to some extent true of a lot of the other um, comic book genres and, and products that are produced outside of the superhero world. Um, you know, you, because you have the the same people working on them all the time. It's you know, it, it you have that sort of element of continuity, which is well, at least to me, is, is interesting. It's um, the um, the Tebeos I was referring to earlier. Um, I think perhaps the most famous. Tebeo creator in Spain for years and years on end was Ibáñez, and Ibáñez um, was, was really he was a cartoonist. I think you know his artwork is very cartoony, like is very goofy. Um, you get these very exaggerated features, and some of his most um, famous comic books. I mean, I can go forever, but they were very much um, you know social political commentaries, and uh, you know you could tell it was always the same man writing, the same man drawing, the same man doing all of this mm. because it was his entire input. And I think, you know, there is there is a degree of... I think there is a lot of value in that. And I think that's also the reason why I've come to appreciate these comic forms a lot more because whether it's marketing or whether it's real, you genuinely get this impression that, you know, that the overall narrative and concept is truly being developed by someone who wants to send you that specific message. And to me, that, that matters. But um, obviously, I suspect, like you said, you know, there is, there is obviously some marketing behind there somewhere. Um, that's, that's what they're for. But um, yeah, um, I was just wondering, Diptarup, is there any specific type of um, you know, genre in India that is locally produced? Yeah, so um, so long as we are still on um, manga and um, non-superhero comics, um, uh, and especially because, Lily, you talked about these uh, individual efforts that some artists have uh, towards creating comics and uh, having a readership, um, there is this um, uh, Comics India, this publisher called Comics India. What it does is that it takes uh, the form of manga and tell stories which are very much Indian. So you have the um, Indian characters, Indian situations and, um, you know, very Indian humor as well in there. But it's in the form of uh, manga using chibi and all the other, uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, left to right, no, right to left um, kind of um, okay. reading um, in the pages. So although the readership of that is not too much, uh, there's only these uh, indie literary circles, you know, indie comic circles, which know about Comics India. Um, there is, however, a much larger readership in India, probably even more than um, the, you know, superhero comics in India. Uh, there's a much larger readership for these um, indigenous um, uh, designed uh, Indian comics that I was talking about. Um, so uh, it, it's like um, there's a place called Chhattisgarh, 
and uh, the kind of local art that is practiced over there is called gond art and these local artists are uh, you know uh, the publishers they go to these local artists and they um, ask them to create some art or create some stories using the gond art and hence is formed comics like bhimayana and um, a gardener in the wasteland now these comics are about life stories of famous people like bhimrao ambedkar who is the father of the indian constitution or of uh, jyotiba phule and um, these are told in the uh, gond art style and the reason why these are quite read i mean the readership is also high is because um, these comics are also in the syllabi of many indian universities so mm. the university in which i am teaching this semester i have a course in which i have to teach bhimayana uh, the comic book and mm. uh, yeah exactly no we don't get to teach superhero comics here because mm. well there is no uh, comics in uh, english literature syllabi but um, when we teach comics we usually get to teach um, uh, the indian non superhero graphic novel type of comics you know so yeah these have a lot of readership over here nice also very i mean um, there's something for nick i mean um, since nick you're from australia there's um, and also non fiction i mean not non fiction non superhero every time i say non superhero non fiction comes to my mm-hmm. mind i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless um there's this australian um, artist um, who writes comics and i am a really big fan of the kind of comics that he writes his name is uh, sean tan and um he's written a book called the arrival which i read um, there's hardly any writing in there uh, it's it's completely images in a sequence and the art is utterly amazing um, uh, it's it's about a journey from um, you know uh, his hometown to australia and then the um, the change and the kind of a culture shock uh, coming from uh, somewhere in a- asia to uh, australia the kind of um, different worlds that he has experienced along with um, uh, you know personal emotions sketched into the faces into the surroundings objects walls everywhere um, it's it's beautiful i mean uh, i i thought i would mention that <laughs> no and yeah. you know i think it's um sorry um that was going to say it's funny that you mentioned um Sean Tan cuz Sean Tan guess, in yeah. the realm of Australian yeah yeah in the realm of um i guess Australian comic books and what not he's he's not really considered a comic book artist here he's considered an an creator which um really? you know oh. um he is um yeah Australian artists um Australian arts is is um notoriously hierarchical and and like you know saying you're a comic book artist is versus an illustrator an illustrator is usually put a little bit higher in there you know comic books might be mm. something they do but you know really australian illustrators have a lot more um important work uh, right. going on as well no that's i mean i can sort of see that but it's, it's always yeah that's same. interesting i mean um, uh, this uh, this idea of the terminologies uh, and uh, i guess um, lily you would i mean see that the terminologies in com- in comics it's always oh God, so yeah. flexible and it's changing yeah. all the time <laughs> yeah and i mean it's very difficult that entire to... episode just to the terminologies just to <laughs> you know, i mean that's the same reason why i said at the beginning mm. just general sequential art because 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, exactly. it's an entire minefield, and and it is true of artists. It is true of producers. It is true of authors. Is I mean, that's an entire different different thing. And I think personally that in the superhero genre, it's a lot more set. You know, it's superhero comic books. Period. Yeah. Um, whilst in the other types of comics that you can encounter it becomes a bit more fluid. And a lot of the time, I think it's because, you know, different regions have different traditions and they don't necessarily follow the rigid form of what a traditional comic book is. And that's the reason why I think particularly the non-fictional stories are very interesting in comic book form because, you know, the frames, the art, even the the way the speech works, is it can be so different, particularly if there are personal stories like autobiographical pieces or things like that. Um, you know, it can be all all different. Like, um, I mean, perhaps one of the most prominent ones for this is Joe Sacco. Uh, you know, with all okay, of his, yes. you know, journalist yes. work. Um, yes. it's Comic I show. think it's so powerful. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm I'm not gonna go on and on and on about such an iconic, you know, name if in the world of comics, but it's it's so powerful the way he uses the images to tell stories of faraway places, usually in conflict, because, you know, let's remember he was, a, a, for most of his career, a war journalist, just to tell you these stories that he's witnessing, even just to get the, the eyewitness accounts, the images are so much more powerful, but obviously the details of the images are entirely based on what someone would have said about it, not necessarily on the exact reality of events and that power of emotion. It's so, you know, so, so important in what he's trying to say. Um, I think one that will always stick with me, um, obviously, again, it's, it's a classic, no, but Persepolis, it's an, yeah. anything that Marjan Satrapi does because her art style is so personal. You know, you cannot find, you may be able to find people that do something similar but it's so personal. Um, and it is it is important when we're talking about these personal stories to give them that personal voice because otherwise anyone else could have done them. And I think that's, you know, that's the key of non-fictional um, comics. But there is, you know, there is one comic along those lines of what you were saying, Diptaro. I'm trying to remember the name. I think it's called Here and Then. Um, I'm just looking that up very quickly. Um, All right. Which is, it's very similar. It's, um, no, sorry, here, yeah, here and there, my bad. Um, All right. Uh -huh. it's, it's, it is purely a comic book where there is no text and it's just images in different frames and sequences and they tell you to a degree personal stories as well. Um, <laughs> it's difficult to explain what it is about because <laughs> without also, seeing I the images, um, yeah. it's it's difficult. But mm -hmm. it's also about sort of everyday life. And I think that's sometimes something that we miss in comic books, you know, the ordinary nonfiction that happens all around us. Um, and it's it's very interesting because I've seen one of the things that has really struck me of, of non uh, fictional and just non-superhero comic books over the last year or so. It's obviously the use of these comics to uh, talk about COVID-19 and the pandemic and similar yeah. stories. Um, you know, mm. it's it's wonderful because these comics are also becoming educational in a way that perhaps other people mm. may not engage with this type of information. So by putting them in the comic form, 
that's you know that's something that everyone can access exactly and and i feel that this is something so important of the comic book form as a whole of sequential art as a whole and in some traditions more than others that sort of the message and the educational purpose is more you know pertinent than perhaps um in superhero comics although sure all superheroes have some form of message they're trying to send you but you know that educational purposes is is very interesting and seeing comics using current events you know to to tell these stories is is very powerful one of the ones that i read um right at the beginning of when i was starting to do my research and it's not one that a lot of people have talked about but it's to me it was very important um was the the report of the 911 attacks but in the comic book form and i know that probably mm -hmm. sounds crazy but it was perhaps one of the most efficient way to explain everything that happened you know the the political build up and all of the information that mm -hmm. the different agencies came up with in a nice easy format to read and comprehend to explain yeah. you know the the very tragic events of 911 but it was so purposeful you know it wasn't done in a deeming or redeeming way in any way shape or form it was so genuinely factual or as factual as they could be with the evidence they were given obviously um to just purely educate and explain this is what has happened these are the reasons why this has happened and this is what we can learn from it um and it wasn't patronizing or critical in any way shape or form it was just so delicate in the way the story yeah. was you know put out there and in the way everything was informed which to me that just spoke you know spoke volumes because i remember picking the comic and thinking bloody hell this is gonna be you know a big political uh i don't know story of this and that or whatever or you know i was a bit concerned of the type of artwork that may be involved you know how visceral was it going to be how emotional and it was actually very nice <laughs> i don't know yeah, if that's the word that i would use for this but you know what I mean? It was clean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was think... this wordless as well. Sorry. Was this wordless as well? No, no, no. Or... This was word. Okay, this yeah. used word. It used not just comic speech bubbles, but you know, frames and sentences here and there within a comic book recognizable format. Um, and it was. It's it's literally just called that. The report of um nine the nine eleven report comic book. Um, okay. And it's it it just surprised me. And in my head, that kind of in a way became the standard of what a an educational comic book of a non-fictional piece should be. You should have something that anyone can understand. And... I guess there's been stuff like that for going back quite far though, hasn't there? Like yeah. sort of instructional things or stuff like it, that. Kind of. Yeah, it kind of it's followed that instructional serious stuff. Booklet, but you know, those sort of um leaflets that you may get like in the army or you know things like that yeah. um they still have a <sighs> i don't know comics have an evocative element in them yes so, yeah, exactly i think that's what those sort of manuals and, and that type of you know communication device is lacking mm -hmm. this even though it was being respectful and clean it was still putting those emotions very respectfully in in a very clear mindset you know this okay. this is this yeah. is history this is something you should be aware of. This is something you should be mindful of. This is something you should be caring about. Um, hmm. And it was just, you know, 
I genuinely cannot describe it any more than that because you know you, you really need to read it and see it to properly understand what I'm trying to say because it's it's quite a unique piece and I'm sure there's been in fact I know there's been pieces similar to that that have come out since then because this is you know I think the comic book is from the early 2000s um I think 2006 give about um more or less but um it's you know it's it's that type yeah. of Story. I think the comics can, uh, I mean, comics do the work for sensitive issues in, mm. in a very similar manner that, uh, for instance, the haiku did uh, post-World War II, um, yes. where, mm. uh, I mean, a minimalism was needed, a sense of minimalism, a sense of evocation in that minimalism was needed. And comics in itself is not only evocative, but it can be minimalist as well. And uh, often it turns out that uh, minimalist comics, uh, uh, I mean, they are definitely not superhero anymore. Um, there's this one thing that superhero comics uh, are hardly minimalist. Not that mm -hmm. there is, uh, there are no examples of that. For instance, uh, there's an Indian comic artist by the name of Apupen um, who has a series of wordless comics. Um, a few of them have words in them. And um, these comics, I mean, usually when we um, talk about comics and we relate them to superheroes, it's purely because, um, well, the superheroes as a genre, as a figure came out of the comics form itself. Um, but um, that doesn't mean that if the comics are wordless or silent, one cannot have superhero elements because in Apupen's Legends of Hala Hala or all the other stories of Hala Hala that Apupen talks about, um, he's actually creating a superhero narrative. So there is a superhero and um, the story is not about the superhero uh, himself, but about the world and the place of the superhero in that world. Mm. Um, and it's wordless. So this is a way in which I think comics uh, transcend themselves. I mean, whatever it was in, um, in the beginning, 1930s, 40s, fine. But now comics are really transcending every single day, trying to, uh, you know, merge um, sensibilities from superhero, taking superhero comics into the silent realm, uh, talking about um, very general issues, but in a loud manner. So, yeah, there are non-superhero comics and personal narratives um, uh, in the form of comics. Uh, we cannot ignore the kind of, you know, graphic medicine mm. texts that are around um, nowadays. Uh, even I've been working on graphic medicine for um, like a couple of, I, I worked for a couple of months last uh, last year. And um, uh, it, it was just amazing the kind of narratives you have. Uh, when it comes to the graphic medicine, for instance, Dumb by Georgia Weber or, um, you know, David Small's mm -hmm. Stitches, um, uh, Epileptic. Epileptic is just um, out of the world. I mean, um, the way in which they've used the comics form to talk about these internal issues, psychological issues, pain, which cannot be felt. How do you show it in a comic book? So um, I think these are areas that comics have explored beyond the superhero. I mean, the superhero is a part of comic books. It is integrally related to the comic book. You cannot yeah. separate it, but there's so much more. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. On, on that note, though, and just becoming conscious of the time, there was one more thing I wanted to talk about, which I think we tend to um, 
I don't know, either we take them for granted a lot these days in the world of comics or because they've become so sort of second nature to us, we sort of dismiss. But um, I think we are not talking enough these days about comic strips. Yeah. And, um, you know, I cannot think of a single person that I know, even if they're not a comic book fan, who hasn't read a comic strip in their life. And, <laughs> you know, comic strips are so powerful because you get you get everything that's good about a comic in a quick, snappy, you know, sense, in, exactly. in few words. And a lot of the time, a good comic strip hardly ever needs words. You just need that sequence, and yep. then it just tells you that message. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I don't read as many these days. I mean, my dad was obsessed, particularly with things like, um, I don't know, Pearls Before Swine, Dilbert, you know, things like that. He would have <laughs> loads of them. Um, I've had some that for me have been really important for different reasons. One of them is Hagar the Horrible because of, obviously, I'm, I'm a Viking scholar. So Hagar the Horrible is, is a must. And, you know, what I, what I really love about these comic strips is that they have the power to talk to you on a very personal and individual level that can connect with anyone, I think. Um, about ordinary things, which is the reason why I think the comic strip is so powerful, because it's about the now and the everyday life. Even though they may have a theme, even though they may have, you know, uh, an agenda or whatever, it, that's what they are about. And I think Hagar the Horrible for me was great because it was, ha, 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 this is how we relate to Vikings going <laughs> through similar stuff that we are, you know, like feminism and the struggles of being a family and whatnot. But another one that to me was very important, particularly growing up, was Nemi. And I don't know if everyone out there knows, but Nemi is, is um, a Norwegian um, um, comic strip about this metalhead girl who's a goth and, and her daily struggles as a woman in the metal sort of sphere and you know that it's i think it's, it's very beautiful because you know if you are into metal and rock music or alternative culture it's very powerful there is a lot of puns and a lot of things that you know they are real they they are that's you would think oh my god that's totally one of my friends you know something like that it's it's very relatable it's also very funny um the artist has this wonderful way of also doing you know comic commentaries about the general um, Norwegian um, situation, particularly things like weather and you know things like that, which are obviously um, quite prominent. But it's it's really it's really interesting how you know little concepts like that are you know, graphic, and and we have mm. them all the time. Like I mean, I don't know mm. you know for the modern generations, if you are on Instagram or in Facebook, how many little comic strip artists do you have there all the time? Like I follow this one, Katana Comics. Um, and which one is the other one with the super cute couple who are always doing silly shit that I always think, oh my god, that's me. <laughs> like literally, that's just me <laughs> with a blanket. You know? It, it's, oh yeah, yeah. there's it's, a few like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a thing. It's things like that. So I was wondering, what's your take on on comic strips and whether you guys still read them or or not, or you know what 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 has been your interaction with them? Uh, I mean, uh, I've not really read any of the traditional ones like recently you know who even gets a paper anymore i don't know if they <laughs> well, but um yeah, yeah I it's, guess it's really saw, not a thing is it yeah i guess things like 
little web comics and stuff like that like you well, yeah. say have, have sort of replaced it so yeah. you know I, i'm aware i haven't mentioned much in this whole podcast because you know i don't really read comics but then i thought i do actually read a couple of like web comics and stuff like that that i occasionally look at and you know like you said they're they're not anything large or serious or very deep but they've they're just some little strips that are just you know a little joke in like four panels basically um so yeah, yeah. So there's a few examples online that have kind of taken over that sort of thing hmm. um it's kind of interesting yeah to like i read um i read a lot of um oglaf um, which oh, is, yes, um, I know about yeah. yeah, yeah, very, very smutty Dungeons and Dragons yes. comic. I mean, I say smutty, but I'm I'm grinning like a lunatic as, as I say. <laughs> they are it's just, it, it, just it just it just it just yeah yeah it just hits it just hits my life and lifestyle on on so many on on so many different definitions of dungeon. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah, um, but I think I think it's like really interesting when we start talking about. Um, but yeah, we were talking before about how you know comic books have been moving increasingly, particularly outside the superhero realm, um, away from um, well towards minimalism. I was trying to think what seems in opposite of minimalism, but all I came up with was maximalism, and that sounded silly coming out of my mouth. Um, and yet there it is. Um, how we start moving towards minimalism, and and you know now we're talking about you know, comic strips, which is where a lot of it came from. And I think that's the really interesting thing about sequential art when we start to talk about it is that it can be long form, short form. It can be minimalist or, or highly detailed and it can shift between those things, um, you know, in different ways like manga um, that we were talking about before um, does it really quite well, I think um, mm. things like uh, Sakike do it quite well, where they shift from highly detailed panels um, through to almost, um, you know, minimalist, um, the chibi style in, yeah. um, you know, in the same few pages. And it's kind of really cool to see that your emotions can be taken on that journey by simply the artist adding a few more lines and that you know, the story and then the, sorry, the emotion of the story and then what you're, you know, meant to be feeling along with it can be evocated, you know, really um, strongly by just shifting that style or shifting the length of the story or the amount of panels or the page, um, whatever. Yeah. What about you, Diptarok? What's your take exactly. on, on comic strips? As soon as you talked about comic strips, I just, uh, I had a comic strip right in front of me. I mean, uh, oh, like a series of strips. <laughs> it's called Double Talk and I, I have it in my hand right now. It's called Double Talk and it's by Manjula Padmanabhan. Um, the thing about comic strips, I mean, the way I have uh, experienced them mostly in recent days is through collected editions, you know. I mean, um, there was a time when um, comics used to come out in the newspapers. They still do, but I, I don't remember reading strips from the newspaper anytime recently. Um, yeah. The only ones which I have read, for instance, um, uh, Double Talk or even uh, some, uh, you know, some Dennis the Menace, some Peanuts. Um, uh, mm, yes, th peanuts. These are the classic ones. I mean, um, I, I enjoy peanuts a lot. I mean, every time I sit with a peanut book, I just want a friend around me so that I can track a joke or two. But yeah, 
um these are these are the things i mean essential dikes i mean i could go on about the, the various uh, you know strips that i have enjoyed but that's the thing that uh, i don't read them as strips anymore and i don't think a lot of people read them as in the form of strips the way they came out yeah. uh, most people would encounter them in the form of you know collected editions nowadays yeah yeah, yeah. i i agree yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons why I also wanted to talk about comic strips is because actually a great, wonderful comic strip creator passed last year. And I think he's been so influential in the world of comics comics and comic strips, particularly for the um, Spanish-speaking world, which is Kino, the creator of Mafalda, which is very similar to Peanuts, but in Argentina. And um, he, he was a big influencer in, in that sense. And... When I was thinking about it, I couldn't remember reading a Mafalda comic strip on its own. It was, you know, that sort of format of the compendium or whatever. And I remember seeing, obviously, because of his death, so many of these collections have come out and, and whatnot. So it, you know, it's also one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about comic strips, because it's funny how if we've stopped reading them in, in the intended form, if you like, you have these now collections of comic strips which I guess becomes a comic strip book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it gets confusing. But yeah, it's interesting, it's oh, yes. interesting uh, how the medium changes. Um, I mean, it, but the it message is makes, still the same. Yeah, yeah, it kind of makes me think like, I, you know, I used to read like the Beano and stuff when I was a kid. Um, but I always used to like the, they, they used to do like the annuals, which were like yes. a big collection of comics, basically. Yeah. And they used to do interesting ones, which were like collections of their like, because I think the Beano has been going since like the 30s or something. They used to do their like collections of like old ones throughout the decades. Mm -hmm. And those are always very interesting just yeah. to get kind of a, just a perspective on what, you know, people were thinking at that time just through a comic, um, especially when it's like, you know, they're going through World War Two or something. And there's this kid's comic like commenting on it and stuff. It's yeah, kind of interesting. Still in a humorous way somehow, but yeah, yeah. It just it, it, it's interesting though that when we start, I mean, I find in myself that when we start reading comic strips in, um, you know, multiple forms and multiple iterations, like I find when I, you know, because I, I think we've all kind of stated vicariously that we read them mostly online now. When you start getting them in the big album or yeah. reading them online, and you flick through a few, um, I, I find like my brain tries to connect it as a narrative, even yes. though I know now that was a, that was an individual thing. Like Garfield's got his lasagna now. That's not <laughs> the next thing where he's, where he's berating. Um, oh, I forget the guy who um, owns Garfield. Or, well, the guy Garfield owns, let's be honest about who's the, yeah, who's yeah, in yeah. charge of that relationship. <laughs> um, but you know, that, that idea that the expectation is because they're collected up. Now they're all meant to be connected. Those events are somehow meant to be, um in sequence yeah it just resets whereas like before any... yeah <laughs> yeah whereas before we we'd read it we'd get that instant hit that bit of laughter or interest or whatever and then we'd kind of just um move on and i wonder if there's now um because i noticed with like more recent some um, particularly online ones like um that you flick through there is more of a sense of things that happened oh that happened five strips ago or 10 strips or you know 15 or this strip is connected to the next one yeah. there is a sense of that overarching narrative <laughs> somehow 
creeping into comic strips now. Very gradual. And at that point, do we do we can yeah, and do we keep calling them comic strips or are they? <laughs> now short-term, short-form comic books or something else. Yeah, that's, you know, that's interesting. And particularly with these everyday sort of, you know, things that they could have happened in any order. I think that's definitely, you know, um, something that I've noticed as well. There is one of which I have an album and that sense of this is a continuous story happens to me all the time because it's impossible not to. And, and I'm sure anyone out there with a cat will find this relatable, but there is this famous comic strip called Simon's Cat. And oh, it's yeah. literally just yeah. this <laughs> bloody cat <laughs> being a cat <laughs> and doing all sorts of annoying things. And I have the, the compendium. So obviously, if you just pass page by page, you just think this could be the cat all in one minute, all in one year. All, you know, it's, it's clearly a, a constant stream yeah. of narrative. Um, and I did notice that as well, that before I would have probably just seen the one laugh <laughs> and the next day or whenever I would see the next one and laugh and that would be just as good. But yeah. when you have them in this format or when you can just flick through a few, it yeah, the impact changes because it's it's, it's, a it's bit almost, of an overload. <laughs> yeah, it's it's because you're sort of trying to add them up together, making yeah. this, you know, narrative story in your head. And it's like, oh, that's that's weird. That's yes. that's really mm. strange. So it is it is an interesting, you know, thing that's happening there. And I wonder how it's going to evolve. Um, you know. Speaking of uh weird weird changes to uh these comic strips have you ever seen um garfield minus garfield no no <laughs> it's no. pretty amazing it sounds um, like it's I literally should. just it's <laughs> literally just the uh the garfield strips but garfield himself is just edited out and basically <laughs> it's uh it's the Whoa. his name's john i think the the owner um but it's basically just <laughs> turns into a story about a uh, an insane depressed man <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> like, you get like three blank panels, and then him just saying, "I can't take this anymore." Or, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Or, that's interesting. Oh my god! You know, him just saying yeah. something odd, and then like walking out the room, and then a blank panel. Like you know, <laughs> it just becomes an entirely different story when you get rid of Garfield yeah. himself. That's um, really funny. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Definitely look it up. Oh, um, really? oh yeah, I, I just did. It's 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 really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. so uh, yeah, more stuff like that. Um, mm. Another couple of things I wanted to mention, actually, um, seeing as we mentioned um, web comics, um, something that I in particular I, I never actually got into, but I got I, I meant something similar was um, Homestuck. If if anyone's aware of that, no. Um, nope. Basically, it's uh, it started years ago. It's like an insanely long. Uh, webcomic um, I think it just started out with a very simple story about just some some kid in his room um, but basically how it's done is um, it was all done on a forum uh, and oh, the narrative is kind of led by forum comments Oh, so it's kind of like a, yeah. a communal choose your own adventure comic uh, and this started over 10 years ago and it's like still going there's like probably like 10,000 pages of it or something at this point. Oh, yeah, seriously? Um, yeah, cool. it's it's insane. Uh, so it's become an incredibly like complex and long plot now, um, and I've never been able to get into it. It's just very dense at this point. But a similar thing, which I have gone into, is one called um, Prequel or Prequel Adventure. 
um, oh. or also called How to Make a Cat Cry. Okay. <laughs> um, kind of a, um, basically, it's uh, it's a very similar thing. It started off as someone doing the same sort of format thing on a forum um, with where they would take inspiration from forum comments reacting to each comic, each page of the comic um, to move things on. Um, but it's set in the Elder Scrolls universe. Oh, um, right. So Whoa. the first, the first uh, to begin with, it was set up as like a prequel to uh, Oblivion, the, the Oblivion. previous Elder Scrolls game to Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been going on since um, Oblivion was like new, I think. So that's been going on for a while as well. Um, but that one's a lot easier to get into. Um, it's very, it's actually quite a, hilarious and somehow moving story despite it you know just being some starting off with some silly story about um this uh khajiit character who's just like useless at everything and that's why it's called how to make a cat cry because essentially just bad things keep happening to this this khajiit character um it's just it's just really interesting like that's one of the you know, me as someone who yeah. doesn't read comics, it's one of the things that I actually follow, and it's a it's a comic, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. And it's just it's got a really interesting plot that has come out just from forums, just saying, "Oh, hey, try this," or you know, kind of talking to the character, and then the character kind yeah. of reacting yeah. to that as if they're her internal thoughts. And it's very interesting. Yeah, it's just hmm. an interesting way to write, I think. Um, and everyone should definitely check it out. It's very entertaining. That sounds really mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's I was really not cool. ready for that, but thank you. <laughs> that that sounds intriguing. Yeah. Wow. Also, what's very interesting is that um, I mean, um, finally we have like Alex is actually talking about comics. I know. There has to be some like you know? weird, obscure thing that's like barely a comic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. It only took us four sessions, but we finally managed to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ah, there you go. No, but I mean, it, I think it's great because it shows that, you know, the, the genre or the concept of, you know, comic is developing in such, you know, bizarre ways yeah. that, it, you know, it's... Mm. It's, I think it's what I love about them and the reason why I'm always a bit reticent towards the people that seems so stuck in your superhero comics because it's, mm. there's so much more out there. And I think once you explore all of those other types of comics and sequential art out there, it also allows you to evaluate superhero comics for what they are. I think they acquire a different um, tone overall and you can appreciate yes. them a lot more for for their actual not just messages but but generally as a product for what they are i think otherwise mm-hmm. you just get so sucked up into you know the stories or or dynamics or whatever it is that it just kind of becomes a superhero abc doing xyz hero stuff if that makes sense and and that's not that's not mm. fair because there is some very good and some very powerful superhero narratives out there but you know it's as a matter of fact um it's it's something that really helps you you know contextualize and also see the links and you know where things have evolved from the superhero genre like Diptarup was saying and ad- adapting into new ways or the other way around how we are incorporating things you know from other genres into superheroes but it's i think you know 
comics are are relatable. There is a comic book for anyone out there. I mean, if Alex was able to find his his comic <laughs> online, <laughs> then anyone can, because there is literally anything at any level, you know, of readership that you want to engage, whether you're a child or a grown up or you know anything depending on your taste there is literally something for everybody and it doesn't have to be about any grandiloquent story it can just be about ordinary things and, yeah. and you know that's i think that's what's so powerful about you know these this this medium and and the reason why i really wanted to talk about it a bit more outside that you know conglomerate yeah it just depends what you're looking for i mean for some people comics is is the best way or for me personally if i'm going to get into something very deep and a very long story i just find it easier to read a normal book but um you know comics can be used for all sorts of other things as well Indeed. So, well makes sense as we are running out of time um just sort of to wrap things up maybe if we could all pick one comic book within these parameters uh, whether we've spoken about and we want to elaborate more or just something new altogether um just to sort of highlight or pinpoint or you know put it out there for people who may not be familiar with these other comics or whatever um just sort of to to you know open up their their pathway and, and lead their curiosity and and i think that would be a nice way of rounding it up um so i don't know if anyone wants to start if not i'll go go ahead right well um, for me, and, and this is actually as a, as a way for anyone out there who may be a lot into superheroes and doesn't really know how to do the transition, one of the easiest ways you can probably do, and I know you will probably think this woman is crazy, but believe me or not, this is the way, um, is ditch Marvel and DC and just transfer to Image. <laughs> Simple as that. Because <laughs> one of the things that Image comic books have been so great at doing is that they started with, you know, superhero narratives and now they can give you literally anything under the horizon. And it is usually done by people who have work in superhero comic books. Therefore, they can give you the most amazing graphics with a very good story. For example, um, and this is one comic that has nothing to do with superheroes and that normally I would never read because if you guys have been following this for a while, you would know I am terrified, like, to my bones about anything that has to do with horror. I, I just don't digest it well. Mm. Yeah. But um, Scott Snyder yeah. started doing a series called Witches. And okay. it is creepy as hell. Like, if, if any of you have been reading DC and whatnot, Scott Snyder has been doing lots of stuff. One of the things he became really popular for doing is American Vampire, which is, by the way, a great comic book series. But then he did this thing, and it is one of the most visceral human stories that I've read from a big franchise ever. And it is truly terrifying. Like, I still don't know why I actually bought it. I should, really shouldn't have. But <laughs> I've, I've read all of this stuff, and it is so so chilling not because the art is very graphic and it revolves you inside or anything like that but because the story is so mind-blowing and it's 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 like i said it's visceral it's so twisty but it's very human which at the end of the day i've always been of the opinion that good horror at you know has that very human element that is actually what makes it disturbing but 
it's very personal. And one of the things that the author is very good at doing as well is in like you know, in the back pages of the book is explaining you the journey that he's been going through whilst he's also writing this story. And you know, that personal, the emotion, everything like that really comes through and it makes the story a lot more wholesome. Like it actually made me cry, not of fear, but wow. of genuine human empathy. And that's not something that I expected when I bought a comic that I thought was probably going to give me nightmares. <laughs> um, but it's genuinely, if, if you want to get into something like that, it's, you know, it has some relatable um, items because there is this horror supernatural thing going on there. But it's, it's a story about people at the end of the day um, and people in some not necessarily ordinary situations but probably stuff that we all can relate to and that's really what makes it so you know powerful and emotional but other other things from image that are outside of the superhero sort of genre and that i'm sure would be very popular if you're into fantasy or things like that is for example the rat queens which is essentially what a dnd party should be mm. um the, it's hilarious it's it's a huge message about feminism, feminism that comes in different shapes, different forms. It's um, LGBT friendly. It is uh, race friendly. It is outsider friendly. It is um, friendly towards people who may have had a rough background, even perhaps a criminal background, and now they're being rehabilitated into society. It's such mm. a powerful story, um, and it's it's really great. And the art has changed a few times, so then the story sort of doesn't entirely make complete sense but you can literally pick it up and again find it relatable because it's so wholesome and it's it's really unique i think as well in in how they're approaching things um so those would be perhaps some of my um recommendations but for me the current non-superhero story that i'm i'm i've been following for a really long time and it's awesome and i dare say one of the best pieces of science fiction that are out there if of the last decade is Saga. If you haven't read Saga, Whoa. go and buy Saga yeah. because Whoa. it's an <laughs> epic space opera, um, which again, like, like Rat Queens and Witches, and I think this is something Image have been very good at, at doing, connects at so many different levels with current human issues, not just like individual issues, but you know, societal issues. You know, you have a race and class divide, you have these love stories which are full of everything. I don't want to make spoilers, but yeah. it's, you know, and, and there is, and, and the whole point of, of this thing, you know, the entire comic book happens because there is an intergalactic war. And, mm. you know, as, as often happens in, in sci-fi in, in these stories, right? But it's, it's very self-reflecting. And if you follow the story through, again, it's very moving. And it really teaches us that, you know, we can really learn something about your neighbor even though your neighbor may be completely different and there is always a way forward but it's you know the artwork is beautiful the story is beautiful the characters are charming um and some of them are pretty weird one of my favorite characters no spoilers big really but it's it's a character that is actually like a ghost and she's awesome <laughs> she's crazy yeah. and um it's it's really really nice sort of character to engage with because it's not the type of person you may find relatable very, very caring very yeah, caring exactly yeah. so um that that would definitely be my non-superhero related comic that i would um recommend to anyone who wants to get into it because it's it's cool it's cool in in every single way shape and form so there you go mm. that's my one um i'm just going to slip mine in here which is 
uh, after like the epic, you know, moving sort of highbrow things you mentioned, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> just going to mention a dumb little web comic that I, I find funny. Um, uh, one called Extra Fabulous Comics. Um, go and check it out. Fun. It's it's one of the things that consistently makes me laugh. It's it's literally just mostly based on like dirty puns half the time, um, <laughs> but. I love it, uh, and it's literally just like three or four panels of just like one dumb joke, but gets a laugh out of me, so I enjoy it. <laughs> Extra fabulous comics. Extra fabulous comics. There we go. Um, I'm probably going to mention a couple of um, web comics as well. Um, you know, one I highly recommend is um, look. I, I think. One of the problems, or I guess one of the things that, you know, Image does well as well is that whole um, bridging thing. And, um, yeah, there are a few comic books out there that do a great bridge between um, the superhero stuff and non-superhero stuff and sort of start out seeming like one thing and evolving into the other. And one of the webcomics that I really enjoy that um, that provides that is The Adventures of Dr. McNinja, which is um, wrapped oh up God. a couple of yes. years ago. But, yeah, just um, the, the whole premise is that he's a, a ninja who who wanted to be a doctor. So you, you've kind of got this weird kind of blend where he's a ninja, he's a doctor, he's a superhero. Um, and it, it kind of uh, goes from starting out with that kind of bizarre, strange premise and, and this one-off um, kind of comic strip of him beating up Ronald McDonald <laughs> through to evolving into this this, this weird kind of um, ir- like like Irish ninja family drama <laughs> sitcom um, kind of thing over yeah. its evolution, and it's a, it's a great way to start getting into non superhero comics because it starts with that because let's face it, a lot of the superhero premises are just plain ridiculous it starts with that absolutely ridiculous premise and it moves forward from there um the other one that does that sort of uh transition um really really well is um and i'm actually kind of strolling to my comic shelf now because i'm actually just mind blanked on the title of it and i'm just like (laughs) oh dear what is this comic book that i was uh going to mention um and yeah it's completely gone from my memory so i'm just gonna say east of west because it's jonathan hickman and um you know yeah 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 wonderful um sort of it's sci-fi it's western it's a whole bunch of things mashed into one um and then as you read it and as it goes on it involves into i guess the only thing i really would compare it to is a babylon 5 or game of thrones like yeah. Um, massive political drama um, towards its end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The other thing I'll mention is um, I haven't really mentioned any actual Aussie comics yet. So I'll, I'll talk about Metcop Wonderland um, briefly, which is um, kind of a buddy cop drama about ticketing inspectors on Melbourne uh, inner city trains. Um, and one of the curious things about Melbourne as a city is that the city kind of builds itself as being the city that has um, So um, this wonderful artist that was from Ballarat a long time ago, Mel Russell, she started doing this comic book about the idea of 
Melbourne having everything and all that coming together um, as everything in Melbourne does mm. on the inner city trains. Nice. So you've got this kind of weird buddy cop drama of these, these like, you know, you've got the one guy there who's, you know, Ned Flandrously over-enthusiastic about the job and you've got the other partner there that was kind of like, yeah, I wanted to be a rock star, but then life happened and now I'm a ticketing inspector, so I want to punch my card gumming and get the day done and go home and have a beer as they kind of have to deal with aliens and cyborgs and robots and interdimensional horrors on the Melbourne inner city trains. And it's like, the funniest thing is that when you look at the panels, it's like, you kind of go, Oh my God, how'd they come up with those, you know, seat designs that look both colorful and depressing. And, and I'm looking at it going, that's actually a Melbourne train right there. That's, that's, the exact, that's the exact wonderful seat design. So it's kind of got that that wonderful snapshot of Australiana there in it as well. Nice. That's funny. That's wow, great. nice. Uh, well, um, the name that I was about to say, uh, Lily, you've already said that. So I'll just Sorry. probably... <laughs> <laughs> take because uh, Saga was the first image comic that I had read. And um, I was re when I was reading it, only three volumes of it had come out. Um, so that's when I had started it. And then um, I, I used to wait for every new issue to come out and then I started taking issues. Um, so Saga is definitely brilliant, but also anything by Brian K. Vaughan, even by yes. The Last Man. Yes, um, it's really a nice place to start uh, if you want to go for non-superhero comics. And um, since Alex and Nick, they have also talked about web comics, there is a, a web comic that I would also like to suggest uh, as a beginning point, not just into... Uh, non-superhero comics, but also into web comics um, as a mm. um, format. Um, and it's called Cicada Girl. Um, uh, Cicada Girl is a very, um, uh, you know, interesting philosophical um, love story. Um, this girl who is so beautiful and so pretty that her job um, is to, um, you know, uh, seduce men who have girlfriends and their girlfriends actually pay her to do that just to see whether the um, whether their boyfriends are loyal or not Jeez. and uh, <laughs> yeah and um, i mean coming from a content like this the kind of um, uh, you know conversations that the characters have with each other and the way in which this if you can call it uh, the screen flow in mm -hmm. which the entire comic plays out, especially what's most interesting is the infinite loop. Um, I'm sorry, the infinite scroll feature. Uh, mm -hmm. So of a web comic. So in a web comic, you're not reading page by page. You're actually scrolling down and uh, the comic book utilizes that infinite scroll in order to create one single page where uh, the colors or the ground of one particular panel uh, mixes with the sky of the other. And um, cool. they are walking down the stairs and um, uh, you can see them um, at the top of the stairs and then at the middle of the stairs and then at the bottom of the stairs. And the time is passing as you scroll down. So it's a beautiful little webcomic nice. um which is, um, I mean, I was not expecting too much once I uh, had just read the blurb of it. But when I started reading it, it was just intense and it was uh, beautiful. So mm. that is one. And also, um, apart from that, um, I would invite anyone to, uh, you know, come and read any Indian comic book. Um, because other than Raj Comics or Holy Cow um, Entertainment, which are basically superhero uh, publishers, 
every other Indian comic is a non-superhero comic. And everything it deals with some or the other issue, uh, be it comics journalism like Munnu, Munnu, which is a lot like Mouse. Uh, oh, yes, whereas, of course. Yeah, and Munnu deals with uh, the plight of the Kashmiris, um, you mm. know, in Kashmir. And the Kashmiris are represented as uh, deer, antler deers. Um, so uh, Munnu and also River of Stories, which is a story about, um, you know, uh, a dam being built on a river, Narmada, and the people are revolting against it. And there is this... Um, journalist who goes to um, you know record the story and this is the uh, narrative of the journalist so stories like these i mean there are countless indian comics which are um, non superhero and yet very interesting so yeah <laughs> that would be those would be some of my um, you know suggestions yeah cool. no, i i can vouch for munu as well because i've i've not read all of it i've just managed to be able to get snippets because of that similarity with mouse and the the con conflict in Kashmir and it's genuinely it's it's such a touching story and really eye-opening so 100% I think those those are all very very good suggestions so there we go well that was that was great and um yeah. it's, it's nice talking about something that doesn't require you know face masks and um, capes and superpowers. <laughs> so, you know, that's awesome. So thank you everyone again for joining us, um, particularly on this special day, which is our birthday, in case I haven't said it already. Um, obviously, when you probably will listen to this, it will not be on our birthday. It'll but be a little actually, bit later. Yeah, it will, we actually <laughs> recorded this on our fifth anniversary, which is really special for us. So thank you guys Happy for birthday. joining. Happy birthday. Yeah. Yes. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday. And um, thank you to everyone that has been listening and reading up to this stage, because obviously that's, you know, five years that we've been doing this. So if you are still sticking with us, we must be doing something right. So <laughs> there we go. Wow. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining again, as usual. Um, uh, also, thank you, Alex, for actually reaching this milestone with us of contributing to our comic book conversation <laughs> with things none of us actually knew about. This is something <laughs> that will go down in the history books. So oh, no. Go. <laughs> I've got to one-up myself next time. Somehow. <laughs> and there we go. Yeah, thank okay. you so much, folks. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.